0: A red negotiator is someone that's aggressive. They go for the aggressive from the get-go. They start out, we are not going to negotiate on this. Then you know, okay, this is somebody I'm playing with. I cannot beat fire with fire. It's just going to be an explosion. Even if I am naturally a red negotiator, I must be a blue negotiator. And a blue negotiator is calm, listens, doesn't speak first, and jumps over a very, very fiery kind of issue that arises early to allow the mood in the room to change before going back to dealing with that one.
1: Welcome to The Pinch, where we share real stories of businesses navigating the ever-changing legal environment and learn how you can leverage the law to avoid landing up in a legal pinch of your own. Because when it comes to the law and business, you don't know you're in a pinch until it's too late. Welcome back to The Pinch with your hosts, Natalie and Lucy from Consilium, and today we have Ryan Sauer, the MD of King James Digital, heading up the Media and Data Division. So today we're going to be talking about the necessity and importance of having a proper op- operating document in your business. So an operating document that you're going to use for your clients, a service level agreement or master agreement. And today our guest is Ryan Sauer. He is the MD of King James Digital, heading up the Media and Data Division. Hi, Hi, Ryan. <laughs> It's nice to have you. A good day to you. It's nice to have you on our Concilium podcast.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
1: Ryan, so you know what we're going to be talking about here today. Do you, have you experienced this, obviously in your business, you have operating document that you give out to clients that is really a core document of your business because it governs the relationship between you and all of your clients.
2: Yeah, so um, just a bit of a background on that. Um, when our... When, when our business started to grow into more than like a one-man show and we were dealing with larger corporates, I realized we needed some type of legal document. They were asking for it and, and I had no clue what to do. Um, so I uh, contracted a someone of legal counsel, um, a very senior person that we had a family relationship with and I asked him to draft some type of agreement. I didn't even know what an SLA was, what it stood for. Um, and I just wanted an agreement that could probably get me paid and had some mm. terms and conditions that I could um, pull on should they need to be put in place. And ultimately, I was given a contract um, that I didn't really understand. It was 38 to 40 pages, a lot wow. of uh, Latin, mm-hmm. um, domicilium and the, and the rest of that yeah. stuff. Um, granted, I was also 24 so and I had never studied anything legal and i started serving that to clients as a, as a legal as legal contract he did ask me for a little bit of feedback and and i kind of told him what our business did and it, the first one or two clients it went great they they kind of saw a 38 page document assumed it was legit and signed but then we got to one or two clients that had legal counsel in their business mm. Um, and I, I served them with our, our SLA after a, a negotiation.
1: served them like an, like an appetizer to get just get the juices yeah yeah come a like, nice 40 page legal yeah. <laughs> spangle.
2: Yeah and initially they were like, oh wow, you're a real you're really
1: oppressive. Yeah this is
2: legit, <laughs> you're a legit operation. Um, but then I got it back with track changes or like scribbles and I was more stumped than than, than anything. I had no idea what to do with this information. Um, and they'd found holes in in both the service offering and the the clauses were were counterintuitive to one another based on the solution that we were giving them right. and it was it was really difficult for me now to to now go hire someone i'm still i i'm still a very small business mm. not a one man show but a small operation and i hadn't really robustly checked the the validity of of, of my my contract and how it stands so uh, yeah it was a bit and how would time. you
1: really I, I mean you can't as a layperson, you you operate in your industry, you're a creative. Um, Well, now you've moved more towards not being so creative.
0: (laughs) More
3: data-driven,
2: You're
1: you're data-driven now. I'm not sure how creative data is. But um, you you wouldn't know how to interpret or draft an appropriately legally sound contract. We we draft a lot of SLAs for our clients, and um, Lucy has it down pat.
0: I I think a very important place to start is to really understand what's important to you in your business. So what is non-negotiable for you? And I think the importance of having legal counsel that understand the industry that that you're playing in and understand your business, your processes, and the way you do things when you start drafting an SLA. A good legal counsel that understands your business can help you identify things that are absolute non-negotiables for you. So when you then go ahead and negotiating with a client, you don't even have to have your legal person by your side, you know from an IP perspective, from a costing perspective, from an uh, implementation perspective, what are non-negotiables for you. And it makes you it makes it easier to let go of certain things that generally people wouldn't want to let go of in a contract when you know what is non-negotiable for you. And if you have to bend on those non-negotiables for a particular big client that you want to land, then you know it's going to cost that client more because you are now going against what you normally do. So I think it's really important to start with counsel that really understand your business and and, and your processes, putting together a very practical, not legalistic document that everybody th- can understand. So you can read it if there's something going wrong and understand it without phoning your lawyer and saying, please, will you explain to me when I get paid?
2: That was very much... So for, for me, it was... Clauses and subclauses. it felt like it was very copy-paste. It felt like it was pretty much standard jargon that could have been for the mining sector. Generic, could, yeah. Generic, retail could be for anything. Mm. Um, and, and and furthermore, I guess I hadn't identified at that time which clauses would be contentious, which ones I knew what my terms would be. And, and sometimes these, these contracts would be negotiated in the room. So they would read through it and instead of writing back a response, they would ask me for a meeting – now I'm on the back foot because I haven't structured it correctly, and I don't even know what I want to say when exactly. I'm there, and what the potential clauses another lawyer would go. Can we discuss this? Mm. Can we look at that? So generally, just inept in 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 the drafting, the understanding, and then the negotiation of it. Yeah. Um, at the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think many businesses have felt that pinch that you that you're describing, and. The, the, the best advice that we can give is just really to get somebody that's in your corner, someone that understands your business It's not a cold kind of um, instruction type relationship where they can help you understand what your risks are and how to deal with them, with the client in negotiating agreements so that you don't always have to have your lawyer by your side. I think it's a very good place to start in having an SLA, a, that you understand, for your business, regardless of whether you end up 99% of the time signing the client's SLA, if you put in the exercise initially to get your own SLA in place, that's when you're going to do the groundwork around what is negotiable for us and what
1: is not, and what are we actually trying to do. And I think to highlight some some of the important can't take you through a whole contract, obviously. But things that you as a business need to consider for your financial and commercial and strategic reasons. So you need to sit with an SLA, yours, and then potentially if a client gives you theirs, to decide how would I deal with a breach? How would I deal with an escalation process? or What are my payment terms? Because also having payment terms with various different clients that are all over the show, it's hard for you to manage as a business. So once you have that all done, you know what your strategy is regarding all of that, you can then go into a negotiation Knowing what your bottom line is, where you're prepared to where you're prepared to go with it, you would have been in a much better position had you then gone to those meetings that you described earlier, because you would have done the exercise as Lucy said, and you would know, and you don't need to trudge along a expensive hourly rated lawyer with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's you know obviously subsequent to to our acquisition to the King James Group. Um, I was I was made more aware of, of, of those type of walkaway points, non-negotiables. And as as a group there is there's a structure in place for how we negotiate and and and, and what those terms are and, and what we can you know, what we can play with and what we can't. So that's become a lot more clear to me. But in those days when I was a much smaller independent operation, I feel like these were I would love to have that type of advice. Um, and, and I didn't have the structure in place and I didn't have the time. And in, 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 at times, I also didn't have the funds. But when you're negotiating hundred thousand exactly. at the time, hundred thousand grand contracts, that's that's a difference between like you know you know catalyzing your business. Mm. But if you're on the wrong terms, you're you're in a very dangerous position in those earlier days.
0: Absolutely. Oh, he has the voice, voice of, of reason. reason. <laughs> Damn, what does he want? In unison?
3: <laughs> so I think what would be very valuable from a voice of reason perspective is to actually paint a situation in terms of contract negotiation. So Ryan just mentioned now that he was acquired by the King James Group, right? And so there was clearly a contract negotiation that was on the table, which which he has already alluded to. So if you were to imagine the scene between a client, their lawyers, you and your legal team, what are some of the do's and don'ts or insights that would be valuable for our listeners to understand from the perspectives of a client that you're trying to negotiate with? In this case, it was Ryan and King James, King James being the client. their lawyers, right? You and your legal team.
0: Okay, well, voice of reason. I think there are four players. There's obviously yourself, there's the client, there's your lawyer, and there's the client's lawyer. And I think the absolute... first place to start is with yourself. I mean, from our perspective, that's the most important person in the negotiation and the the most obvious place to start. And what I mean by starting with yourself, I mean, understand what your negotiables and non-negotiables are. You have to go armed to a negotiation around an SLA with the correct tools. Not knowing what your negotiables and non-negotiables are is like going to a gunfight with a knife. So you need to understand what your negotiables and non-negotiables are. Some examples of this might be how you feel about your IP, how you feel about the services that you're providing and the IP around those services. Some of it might be around cost, how you break the costing down. So Ryan, what are some of the non-negotiables that you at the King James Group know that this is our walkaway point or this is something that we absolutely cannot negotiate on or this is something we're prepared to lose or negotiate on?
2: So th- th- there are different, just to, to um, give some context, there are obviously different divisions. And in the different parts of the business, there are, there are different requirements and needs. So in my media business, timing of payment is crucial. Um, we, we carry clients for a certain period. We have terms with our, with our debtors and creditors. And we need to ensure that there are certain things that we will walk away from in terms of payment. Um, owning of data Uh, is often one that we discuss with clients in terms of are they going to house their data that we generate for them? Do they have the right security in place? If not, we then have to have a talk around that. So we, we have a couple of points that often lead to a conversation that have other legal implications and we need their input on those items. But mainly payment terms, RP is a big one for us in terms of uh, data visualization, those types of things, and then around the security of data is a big one.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to point out there is people often know in an agreement there's certain things like limitation of liability and these long legalistic warranty clauses that people think, okay, they absolutely have to be there and those are the clauses we can't change. And that's absolutely not the truth. (laughs) For some businesses, getting paid on seven days or 30 days is then non-negotiable. They're prepared to say that they're giving certain warranties or let certain things go by or kind of indemnify the client for certain things just to make sure that they can actually get paid when they need to get paid. So there is this misconception that certain clauses in an SLA stay the way they are come hell or high high water. And that's often what we've seen in negotiations that's been the trip up between to opposing sides saying they cannot change those clauses. And I think if you understand your negotiables and non-negotiables and ask yourself, how remote is this risk? So, okay, so we, we indemnifying them against a, using third parties' IP and not telling them about it. How remote a risk is that? If it's so, so, so remote, yes, if it occurs, it's catastrophic. But if it is a really remote risk, then give way on that. And rather be stronger on your payment terms.
2: So can I just I want to ask a question on that. That's we have a situation where we do use third parties, whether it's Google or Facebook or web platform technology. How how robust do we have to be in taking their agreements with us and moving those agreements forward with clients? Because we almost then are concerned about what to leave out. And so we have our negotiation points. But we have other people that we are uh, we, we are obligated to. So when it's a multi level service level agreement, how do you like negotiate a space like that?
0: Yeah, so that that's an important question, and I think starting point again is what it, is yourself. If you've got obligations to a third party, and you are transferring what you're receiving from that third party onto your client, you need to transfer the obligations that you have onto your client as well. Because nobody else is going to be held responsible but you. So you need to do a back-to-back. When you've got an agreement with a third party, those obligations need to be precisely put onto the client so that if there is a breach, you can hold the client responsible. Otherwise, if the client breaches those terms, you're going to be held responsible with no clawback. Okay. So moving on to the second point, um, once you've determined what your negotiables and non-negotiables are, you need to hold yourself accountable. So you need to stick to those non-negotiables. When you go into the negotiation, don't be kind of backed down by the client's robust approach to say, this is how we're going to do it or not, because you must know how much the service is going to cost you to deliver. And by being accountable to yourself, you'll make sure that you deliver a service that is going to be profitable for you. There's no point in entering into a so called multi million rand deal with your with your customer when you when you're making no profit from it because you've bent down on your non negotiables without understanding The ramifications of that. So, lastly, you need to understand your bottom line and you need to be prepared to walk away when you've reached that bottom line. And that really covers the first two points, which is understanding your non negotiables, holding yourself accountable, and then walking away once those have been reached. Um, A good example that we've had recently with a client is they really wanted to do services for a particular big travel company and they felt so strongly about wanting to deliver the service that they bent so much on their non-negotiables that it ended up costing them 50,000 Rand a month to service the client under that contract, which clearly is not understanding your non-negotiables, not holding yourself accountable and not walking away when you've reached your bottom line. I mean, have you at the King James Group come across situations where, or had relationships with clients that have been costly, not profitable?
2: Again, I, I, I try not to to, to speak for the entire group, there there is a larger a larger operation at play in my space, um, once or twice, you've taken the the decision to start with what we call a loss leader um, on a certain service that may come in at a at an expense to us, but to deliver the, the the quality of what we're trying to do for the future gain. So it can be the the first month of a longer contract. it can be, an initial audit that will take the knock on, um, still within a, within, a, within a, a, a legal agreement that we have to deliver, knowing that we're not making the money with the intention of creating the relationship for future gain. Yeah, that is but, that is something that we've done.
0: Yeah, but that's understanding your your um negotiables, and understanding your strategy. You're doing that knowingly, um, and obviously there's benefit to that. Um, the downside or the the danger is when you have when you got that result and there's no strategy in place. And you're in, your your business is act, you're actually paying people to work to do services for them.
2: And and when I was starting out on on my own, um, we would do that once or twice again. But the the strategy was we want the brand name on our books. Yeah. So you would way over deliver on a contract, um, almost at times to your financial detriment. But to be able to say that this is your client and they can be called for a reference. In those days, in the early days, that was something that was very very important to us. So strategic. Um, and and definitely uh, not following the walk-away points or the the bottom line, but knowing that that was what we needed to do to grow um, is sometimes what businesses must look at. The voice of reason.
3: (laughs) What is a client most likely thinking? So if you think about our situation, right, you're negotiating with the client or Ryan's negotiating with uh, a new client of his in the context of buying media for them. How do we work out potentially what a client is most after in a contract negotiation?
0: Well, that boils down to the services that you're providing. Generally, a client wants to get the best service for the least amount of money. You want to do the least amount of services for the most amount of money. So you're obviously at opposing points there. So there has to be some negotiation around both. So when going into a negotiation, don't start at your bottom line. Start higher up because most certainly the client is going to want to bring you down. Just as important as understanding the client and trying to ascertain or assume what they might be thinking, it's also important to look at the client's legal team and understand what the the role of the negotiator being your client's legal team is going to be doing and how to work out when they'll do anything to close a deal. A client that has an in-house legal team, that in-house legal team will know their client's business and understand their non-negotiables, and they basically will live and breathe the brand. They're at an advantage. So it's, a, it's important for me to point out at this point in time, you need to have counsel that understands and lives and breathes your brand.
2: I, I do have a question, since I've, I've got your undivided attention in this forum. Um, often I go into... A negotiation and the multiple people in the room. And I think the one thing that which I'd be interested to know is, is how do you identify the, the key players very quickly, uh, very early on? And secondly, are there ways and techniques of understanding what we call the victory condition of the other side? So you you, you can kind of use that as a, as a starting point or a benchmark. How, have you ever had experience in that?
0: To, to answer your question, I think... The, the people that start talking, the first people that negotiate or, or discuss clauses are not the key players. The key players are generally the decision makers and they generally aren't going to go through each and every clause in the contract. They're going to sit there. When you start getting to the rough clauses, they're going to speak. So mm. I think the ones that open up aren't the key players. Then you know, okay, you're not my end game. I'm looking for the people that aren't talking.
2: That's fantastic.
0: You can also get quite a good indication of what is a victory condition when uh, the legal counsel or the people that are negotiating or talking through the clauses jump straight to the easy clauses. So there's, there's sometimes two strategies. They start out by going through all the – they, they may, may even say, let's start out by going through all the non-contentious clauses they've given their game away straight away and you go, awesome, now we can work out exactly what doesn't mean anything to them. So if, we need to, if, if it matches any of our non-negotiables, we know we've already won that. And then you'll know when you get, to, then they say, okay, let's discuss the contentious clauses. You know that those are their victory conditions. And quite regularly, you'll find that they breeze over costs. Because yes, whilst they, they don't want to pay the absolute max, they know they have to pay something. So that's not necessarily their bottom line.
2: That's what they get for it that is more of the concern.
0: Exactly. And it's also about how they can keep you on the hook for things that go wrong and how they can get basically indemnified against any damage. And that's where there can be huge trouble for a service provider if they haven't understood what that means for their own business.
2: And is it common for for the negotiation to start with the most contentious in, in your experience or do people leave the most contentious for last?
0: So as I was saying earlier, there's there's two strategies and I've seen both work equally. Um sometimes, as I said, they'll go through the non contentious clauses and other times they'll say, Let's not waste time on the things that we, we, we feel that we can kind of conclude fairly easily. Let's go straight to the nuts and bolts of this agreement. What We really, what's really important to us. And I've seen that quite often as well. Um, Again, that's them giving away their their victory conditions. So it's great. Let the other party always start talking first. Let the other party start the negotiation. Ask them where would they like to start. Maybe even drag them into giving away their victory conditions by saying, how would you like to proceed? Should we go through non-contentious clauses first or should we go straight to the contentious clause? I'll let you take the lead. They're going to jump into and tell you straight away what their Mm. victory conditions are.
2: You've teed it up and they'll then let it go.
0: Oh my God, the voice of reason again.
2: (laughs) Hey
3: guys, sorry, I have to ask you, but are there any little known tips? I mean, I know there's contract negotiation strategy, but what about little things that you can do actually in the room that can help you succeed and get what you want in a contract negotiation?
0: Yeah, there's many great tips. Um, I'll start off by saying there's two main types of negotiators, a blue negotiator and a red negotiator. A red negotiator is someone that's aggressive. They go for the aggressive from the get-go. They start out, we are not going to negotiate on this. Then you know, okay, this is somebody I'm playing with. I cannot beat fire with fire. It's just going to be an explosion. Even if I am naturally a red negotiator, I must be a blue negotiator. And a blue negotiator is calm, listens, doesn't speak first, and jumps over a very, very fiery kind of issue that arises early to allow the mood in the room to change before going back to dealing with that one. If they're blue, it's a good idea to be red. It's not essential, but it's a very, very good idea. You can't be blue as blue as them. You need to be a little bit more aggressive because sometimes when you come across aggressive, specifically when the other party has started blue, it can sometimes mean that they're unsure of their position. Similarly, when somebody's a red negotiator and comes firing out the gates, it can also mean they're unsure of what their non-negotiables are. So back to what I said before, always let them start. Let them set the tone. You can understand then what their victory conditions are and where to take it from there. Another good tip is if the negotiation is starting to get heated, call for a break. Guys, sorry, don't mean to interrupt this. I know what we're talking about is important, but I just need to go to the loo. Even if you don't, or can I just grab a glass of water? Um, that breaks the mood, that breaks the the tone, and it allows people to kind of recollect their thoughts. Once you start up again, you can take the lead on how it starts up. And if you think there's a no-go on that clause, you can move on to another clause. Another good tip is if you are able, always sit in front of a window. It makes you appear larger. It makes what you say appear more earth-shattering. And people are more likely to listen when you speak. You appear bigger and therefore more knowledgeable. Also, don't slouch down in your chair so as to make yourself lower at eye level than the person you're negotiating with. Sit higher. Try and look above. Like a snake does when they're trying to conquer their their prey, they always look down. It makes the other person feel like you know what you're talking about, you know what you want, and they trust that it's very important for your negotiator to trust that you know exactly what you want and what your non-negotiables are. Sometimes as a, as a service provider, you kind of want to say, oh, I can negotiate on anything. It makes me look more attractive. It actually doesn't. It makes the other person think, they'll do whatever I want. Is that some, somebody, do I trust that they can do it right? Whereas somebody that says, this is what I do, and this is what it's going to cost, and you can't have this, and you can have that. Okay, well, I trust you've done this before many times. You know what you're doing. I'm more likely to give way to that.
2: Yeah. So, so listening to everything that's kind of been 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 laid out in in, in the last little while that we've been talking, um, I, I know what my strengths are, and 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 they lie within a, a certain sphere of expertise. I spend my time doing that every day, um, but uh, I didn't realize. That there are, there are components outside of our control that we should really kind of uh, delegate to the people that can that can that can help us achieve these things. So I, I know how to do what I want and I know what I want out of a out of a negotiation, but I definitely think that there's a component where you've got to leave the leave the right things to the right people. And Absolutely. legal is not mine.
0: Absolutely, it's about swinging in your lane and being good at what you're good at and sticking to that strength and uh, partnering with people that are good at what they do. So partnering with legal counsel that really understand your business and understand negotiating skills. They know what to look out for. They can identify the the victory conditions and the pitfalls and they can achieve what you want to achieve in a negotiation far better than you can knowing that, geez, all I need to know is that I'm going to get paid this and I'm going to deliver that.
2: But also in the negotiation, I can focus on the area that, that I need to, which is is shining in my key strength while I know the rest is left up to the people that are, that are able to take that forward.
1: Absolutely. So if you're in a legal pinch of your own and would like some practical and professional legal advice, check us out at conciliumlegal.co.za or drop us a line at info
2: at conciliumlegal.co.za.